welcome to the Post-Christian Podcast. Our goal is to reframe, simplify, and focus on our mission to make disciples in a post-Christian culture. We discuss reaching new people and raising up leaders while removing the barriers of churchianity. I'm Eric Bryant, one of the executive pastors at Gateway Church in Austin, author of Not Like Me, and resource provider at ericbryant.org. In this episode, I share an interview from the Church Growth Summit with Erwin McManus, pastor at Mosaic in Los Angeles and author of many books, including his newest one, The Way of the Warrior. Well, I am so excited to have my good friend, mentor, the iconoclast that is Erwin McManus. Hey, Eric. How you doing, bro? <laughs> <laughs> I am good. Thank you so much for joining me for a few minutes. Uh, loved, obviously, my season with you at Mosaic, but L.A. is a fast-moving place. <laughs> in the last seven years, I'm curious, how have you seen Mosaic uh, engage Los Angeles in reaching more people really than ever before? Yeah, it's really been the best time uh, in our lives. And um, I mean, you, you know what it's like to be out here and um, the, the contrast in LA that it is from even like Orange County and the Valley and, and inland uh, that it's, um, it would be more highly liberal, you know, um, kind of anti-Christianity. Um, two years ago, we did a survey on Easter. We had over a thousand people who said, I'm an atheist. And if God were out there, I'd want him to find me. And, and so I think one of the unique things about Mosaic is how many atheists come, how many agnostics. In fact, yesterday I had lunch with someone for the very first time. And they told me they brought uh, their rabbi uh, with them. And the first time their rabbi came, the rabbi gave their life to Jesus. <laughs> and uh, and wow. that, that just so... Uh, expresses who mosaic is it's the place where people would bring the rabbi and the rabbi would find christ it's just uh, a, it's, it's a wonderful place to be that's so amazing well we've been talking obviously all these years and there was a season though it felt like you sensed you know god guiding you to do something that kind of took the spiritual temperature up a notch uh that you were started seeing more people baptized more people kind of crossing that line of faith. What were some of the things that you did and Mosaic did to, to see that kind of response? Well, I think some of it was that we just, um, when I came here 25 years ago, we were pounding really hard ground. And, you know, and so it doesn't look like you're being effective, but you're actually being effective in phase one. Mm -hmm. You have to begin to till up hard ground. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't want to do that because they want instantaneous success. They want immediate proof that what they're doing has merit and value. And you know, you know as well as I do, you were here and you were, you were moving boulders from <laughs> the land. You were, you were pounding hard ground. I mean, I cannot tell you how many times what we had people who were in you know, witchcraft and Wiccan and you know, we, we, our friends you know, coming to Christ out of vampirism and you know, I mean, some really dark places. That's not, um, when Jesus says, behold, the fields are ripe to harvest. He wasn't pointing at our field. <laughs> He's saying, your field <laughs> is really hard and you got to get in there. You got to dig deep. And so, I, so somebody would say is that we spent 20 years pounding the ground, um, 
tilling it, seeding it, watering it, caring for it. So some of it, I feel like we're reaping the mm. benefit of 25 years of hard work. Uh, mm. But on a purely like um, um, technical scale, yeah, I started. I started uh, I've always been um, a an an uncomfortable evangelist. Like I I love bringing people to faith one on one, one on few. I'm always a little bit uncomfortable in a large setting. I'm really good at opening up people's minds to Jesus, making them long for Jesus. You know as well as you. I'm a, I'm a terrible closer, <laughs> and uh, and about anything. I couldn't sell a vacuum cleaner if my family was starving, <laughs> and, uh, and I never wanted to be seen as a salesman. But um, my kids, you know, they they Aaron and Mariah, they got really involved in the church, and they just really. Uh, believed that people were waiting to come to faith, and they just encouraged me. Hey, Dad, you have this gifting. You just you just need to always be asking people to give their lives to Jesus in every setting you're in, no matter what, no matter how uncomfortable you are. You just need to do this. And uh, and you know, I had a, a a large company, and I lost millions of dollars in one day um, due to um, unethical. Uh, um, activities for my partner and stuff like that. And, um, and I came in and I just felt like God was just doing a new work in my own life. Mm-hmm. And I shared the story of losing millions of dollars and recovering from that. And, and I asked people to give their lives to Christ. And I think um, that first day when we came, I came back from the business world back into the church, we had, I think, 82 people who came to Christ and were spontaneously baptized. And then the next month we did again, they had like 68 people. And so we used to baptize like, you know, maybe what, a hundred people a yeah, year max? Every year. That's right. You know, I mean, I think our record was 119 because that was like, wow, this is amazing. And we baptized almost that many in one day. And we started seeing 500 people baptized a year, four or 500. And just people just, I mean, literally coming out of atheism on that day, giving their lives to Christ. And um, it's been beautiful. I mean, we, um, have seen thousands upon thousands of people give their lives to Christ in the last three years. And it's been extraordinary. That is extraordinary. And even just the glimpses I've been able to come out, whether it was, you know, mosaic conference last year, I mean, uh, you had people stand up, turn their lights on if they are ready to let the light of God come inside, you know, come and lead yeah. them. And it, it, the room was lit up i mean it's just such an exciting season it's just been amazing yeah even like at, at our conference in downtown la at the ace hotel unbelieving people come to that i mean it's just one my friends are i just have so many friends who are lost i have so many friends that don't believe in god and i think that's a huge part of it is that yeah it's just a part of you know who i am it's part of my life um these are people i care about and love and uh, but it is funny at conference people are giving their life to Christ. Yeah. Who would expect that at a, at a right. church conference, right? All these pastors from across the planet come and and get to see the people sitting next to them follow Jesus. It's awesome. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Yeah, I invited I invited a friend of mine who's from Israel who makes the jewelry that I wear. Yeah, and he had never been to Mosaic, and he came to the conference. And when I walked off the stage, he came and fa- ran to me backstage. He goes. Where the F have you been hiding this? <laughs> you know? He didn't say F, by the way. No, he didn't. No, he, he was very expressive. <laughs> and uh, I thought, this is like the wonder of it. These are the people that um, make Mosaic up. Because 
five years ago, I mean, I have friends today who are so deeply involved in Mosaic. And the first day I met them, they said, my name is this and I'm an atheist. Mm-hmm. Like it was like an AA program. <laughs> but, you know, they just wanted me to know right away. And what they were saying to me is I'm not open. Uh, just move on. I'm, you know, I'm not worth the time. Uh, and they, um, they proved to be wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, mosaic.org slash conference for all the details on this amazing event. And then, you know, streaming, uh, people can watch at mosaic.org and see, you know, one of the things that we've talked about and just has been fun to witness, you know, as Aaron and Mariah have gotten involved and, and this new group of leaders have emerged, the singing is not the same as when I left. Well, bro, you know, when you were here, there was no singing. I mean, <laughs> we would watch the band sing, but now, yeah. I mean, it's 30 minutes of original music. At, and, and now, you know, the Mosaic MSC is touring all over America when, when uh, people can convince them to leave LA for a few days. And, yeah. But that was intentional too. I mean, that, that was something I, I know was on your heart. How did you how, move the, the, not just the band, but the, the community to, to engage in that sort of way? Because I think that's part of why you're seeing so many more come to faith. That's true. Um, I, I feel like um, we've had, we have a social experiment that proves that worship softens a hardened heart mm. and that people experience the presence of God before they believe in the reality of God. Mm. And uh, it's a great way of winning an argument. <laughs> you know it's kind of like I, I like her I don't like her but I'm in love with her and people like feel the love of God before they actually want to believe in him that's beautiful and I just I give all that to like my daughter Mariah McManus she came in and led the way um, she called people on the carpet if they didn't have a deep walk with Jesus if they didn't love God passionately she didn't want them in, uh, involved in her in the ministry you know on her team and um she just really drew a line and said, this is a place where Jesus is going to be lifted up and worshiped. And we're going to believe that we create an environment where people have an undeniable encounter with God. And it was pretty powerful. And uh, writing music that fits our culture, our style, our language that speaks to everyone, both those who believe and those who do not. And um, it's been really fun to watch. Um, the music is amazing. It's electric. But I did a few things. You know, I, I helped a little bit, you know, in creating the culture. And I started saying every week, uh, leave cool at the door. And I just say, look, I know you're, everybody knows you're cool, but here you got to leave cool at the door. You know, somebody, somebody has to leave your jacket at the door, your, you know, whatever. But we had to leave cool at the door. And he said, I know you're too cool to sing, you know, but except I see you in your car and you're singing Beyonce and you're not even a girl. You're singing Kanye, but you're not hood. And so you sing all kinds of stuff that isn't really true to your story. So you can sing these songs with us. And, uh, um, and we just started getting people involved in the, the experience of it. And I would come up in the middle of worship and I'd just say, hey, we're going to do that again. We're going to try this song one more time. Uh, and this time I, I want you to stop worrying about people. And I just want you to let like the, you know, um, this moment to like seep into your soul. And my daughter's very competitive. I did that for probably the first year she was leading worship. And she said, I am working for the day where you never have to walk on this platform again. <laughs> to ask people to sing. Because my goal is to make you unnecessary. In this moment. And, uh, and it happened. Like there just became a certain, mm. something clicked. 
Mm. And whether people believe in God or not, I mean, I've seen atheists and unbelievers in Mosaic worshiping before they believe. And it's just beautiful. Yeah. Well, I remember one of the things you started to say, and I don't know how many times you had to say it, but this idea that singing is the easiest version of worship. Like if you can't sing, you can't live a life that's a living sacrifice. Yeah. And I feel like because I had such a, a poignant like um, relationship to worship, that worship is life. And I, I felt like a lot of movements made worship singing and, and it created for me a real reaction. Mm-hmm. You know, when people go, you know, um, you know, we're going to worship and I'm going, you're really not, you're going to sing. Mm-hmm. And um, singing can be worship, uh, but worship is far more than singing. Mm-hmm. And, and so, I, but I, I think that we've kind of like looked at this from the big picture and said, worship is, the, is like an entry point. Singing is the entry point to worship. Mm. It's, it's not the end game of worship. That's good. Sacrifice is the end game of worship. Mm. Servanthood is the game, end game of worship. So, like, if the people who think that worship as singing is the ultimate expression that God is looking for, if I think totally missed God. Yeah. Is, uh, worship as singing is problem. It's the beginning. It's the way in. It's uh, it's it's significant and important, and it'll always be a part of our life. It's like oxygen. Mm. And uh, worship. And we could say it like that. Worship is oxygen, but just because you're breathing doesn't mean you're living. Mm, that's good. Well, one of the things I feel like you have done for the people who follow Jesus is given us new language to explain why we do what we do. And even discipleship, raising up leaders, uh, how are you seeing people grow in their faith at Mosaic? What are some of the things that really in these exciting days where so many are coming to faith, what's their next steps that really start growing? Well, you know, we skip a lot of steps. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I mean, you know that uh, I've never been good with A to B to C to D. And so I'm like, give your life to Jesus, go to the Syrian border and help refugees, <laughs> which is what we do. You know, uh, we just, you know, Oh, great. You've given your life to Jesus, been baptized. All right, go to Lebanon and bring That's Muslims amazing. and Christians together. Yeah. Um, you, you know, uh, you've given your life to Jesus, so you know, do something meaningful in the world. And, mm-hmm. and oh, and you, you probably should uh, read the Bible because you're going to need it. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to pray, uh, but we're going to put you in a situation intense enough where you know you're going to need to pray. You know? yeah. I mean, I, I think a huge part of it is that it's hard to call people to high discipline when there's um, low intention. Mm. And so, you know, you say to a person, pray every day, read your Bible every day. You know, uh, those disciplines are kind of like meaningless if you're not living a life of adventure, of sacrifice, of faith. So it's, it, I feel like you have to put them in the environment where they're desperate. Like um, my son's, Aaron's been surfing a lot. And uh, he has a friend named Jamar, Jamar Brown King, who's going to go surfing with him tomorrow. And Jamar is a little nervous because he can't, he can't, uh, can't swim. <laughs> <laughs> And he goes, I don't know how to tread water. I don't know how to tread water. And I'm like, it's okay. You're going to be fine. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll get you surfing. And, and that, that's just so mosaic-like. Instead of getting, teaching how to tread water, we're just going to take him surfing. <laughs> <laughs> and you'll learn how to tread water while you're drowning. And uh, we'll do it. You know, so a lot of our discipleship is really activist-oriented. It's getting people engaged, getting people involved. And, um, and then teaching them as they go. 
Mm-hmm. You know, we've done so many things like growth groups and, you know, I mean, you know, as well as I do, we've tried so many different things to help people grow. And we realized the learning experience, the learning process is different for people. And um, like uh, I look at it and go, I don't know anyone more um, committed. Like my son, Aaron, will spend an hour probably every day studying the scriptures and praying. And I mean, he has a, just a real discipline of his own faith. And, and, uh, and he puts me to shame. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think Mariah is probably more fluid, organic in the way that she relates, but has like a deep faith in God. And, you know, I, I, I just think people are different. You got to help them figure out how they grow and then just feed that. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the things, obviously, I've learned from you. You, you, I don't remember any, I, well, I know you've never done a message on a quiet time with God, <laughs> but instead you would share your life through the scriptures and you can see the fruit of that in, in Aaron and Mariah, but also in, you know, the leaders at Mosaic and all of the, the people that are growing up there. When someone's ready to oversee the life of another person, uh, what, are, what are the signs you know? Well, when someone wants to oversee the life of another person, w- when are you ready to say yes? What does it mean to be a, a leader at Mosaic? Well, I don't think I'd ever, I would ever assign someone to be over a person just like arbitrarily. And um, because to me, the sign that a person is ready to be over people is they actually have people under them. (laughs) 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 You you just can't throw someone in the front of the line and say lead, you know. Right, good. Like, I think leadership is is really more um, properly perceived when there's a line and people start moving in the direction of someone in the middle. Hmm. And you go, okay, there's the leader. There you go. You, You know. And uh, I think a lot of churches put people in line. I just put them in the crowd mm. and then figure out which way the, the crowd moves. Mm. And so I, I look for people who just um, earn trust and people just start trusting them. So they start listening to them. Mm. I, look, I look for people who bring an immense amount of energy. And um, they, when they come in, they activate faith in mm. other people. Um, I look, I look for people who are not distracted by meaningless things, but yeah, stay focused with intention on the things that actually matter. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I told someone recently, I think ineffective pastors and effective pastors both do the same thing. They solve problems. Mm-hmm. The problem is that ineffective pastors, ineffective leaders solve the wrong problems <laughs> and effective leaders solve the right problems. That's great. And so you look for people who are able to wade through all the murkiness of all the problems it's faced and somehow intuitively pick the right problems to focus on. Mm. So, so some of the things I think I look for. Well, I love that. And in my experience, you know, even personally is there, there's, I mean, certainly we had moments where we would commission people, but it's mostly doing life together. Yeah, absolutely. Ready to be rebuked. <laughs> and like there were times I probably should not have been the leader. Uh, but but the energy and the, some of the other things you may have seen elements of, but, but along the way, it's not like I'm out on my own. It's, it's a continual investment in the people that you have investing in others. Yeah. I, I, I've um, had this internal conversation so much going, most of the time a person's ceiling is completely in the direct relationship, their ability to receive input. Hmm. And you just were always an eager learner. You just, you know, <laughs> Had a lot uh, to learn. 
you, <laughs> but you didn't take things personally. You, you, uh, you may have like felt it personally, but you always absorbed it as a learning um, right. opportunity. And I have to, I've told you, you never had a ceiling. You, every, every, every assignment we ever trusted you with, you rose above it. And we never, you never, I never experienced you where something was too big for you. Hmm. Well, and, um, you know, you, you can joke all about all you want about all the things I said about you. <laughs> Although it did remind me of the time you said, uh, Eric, you were really good at working with people more talented than you are. I knew you were about to say that. <laughs> I knew you were about to say that. And uh, That's a compliment, though. That means I have a lot of people with whom I can work. <laughs> I feel like I'm really good at working with people who are better than me. Well, you you are really good at working with uh, so many people, and I'm really excited about The Last Arrow. Uh, tell us about um, this new book. No, it's a very um, a personal book. Um, I'm, I'm really excited. I, I feel like it may be the most impactful book I've ever read. Hmm. And, um, because I, I, I feel like it's, I know it's, it's not a self-help book. It's, uh, it's a, like a self-sacrifice book. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's not so much about self-development. It, is, it really is about um, optimizing your full capacity, about coming to the end of your life and living it without regret. Uh, you know, we've lived long enough now to see people who had so much talent, so much potential, live so far beneath it. And... And I, I've had too many friends that it just feels like their life just became a hollow version of their former self. And I started wondering, uh, what is it about us that causes us to quit and actually think that we failed? Mm-hmm. And because, you know, um, you know, one of the things you realize after a while, you know, which races you always win? The races where you're the only one who finishes. <laughs> 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 I, I found myself the fastest guy on the team because everybody else quit, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and I realized that for, even from a passage in the scripture, that a lot of us, we don't shoot our last arrow. We die with our quiver full. Hmm. We die with unused potential, unused passion, unused, uh, unlived out dreams. And I think a lot of us have actually missed God's intention for our lives. And um, because we thought, God would um, not call us to so much that we lived our lives for less. And, mm. you know, I know for myself, I always, always struggled with um, like identity issues and esteem issues. And I always felt that I was um, incredibly untalented and ungifted and that great things couldn't happen for my life. And I feel like um, a part of what drove me all my life was feeling like I was always in a deficit. And, um, and I realized that um, they probably were right, that I didn't have the talent or intelligence or ability. But what they were wrong about was my resilience, my determination, and my resolve. Mm. Like, I just wasn't going to quit. I just wasn't going to give up. Like, I was, I was, you know, if I couldn't win the, the marathon, I was going to make it a double marathon <laughs> or the triple marathon because I was going to finish and I was going to finish well. And I wrote this book because I feel like so many people live a life of regret. And uh, too many of us are underestimating how generous God is and how much God wants to do in our life. And I think a lot of us live lives of obligation 
rather than lives of intention. And um, I know for many, many years, and you were with me through that, um, I lived a life of obligation. I lived a life in many ways um, under the stifling effect of the expectations of others and what people want for my life. And it took a lot. It takes a lot of courage and a lot of self-determination and a lot of faith in God to stop living your life for the expectations of others mm. and to live the life you're created to live. And I, I'm hoping this book will save people a lot of years mm. so they can begin to live the life they're created to live. Mm. That's great. Well, Erwin, thank you for taking the time. Uh, for those who want to hear more from Erwin, go to erwinmcmanus.com, mosaic.org. There's YouTube channels. Uh, mosaic MSC is the band. Uh, keep up the amazing work, bro. Thank you so much for all you do. Hey, thank you. And uh, hey, thanks for getting the word out on the last arrow. And, um, and just, you know, uh, pray and pray that God would get the message out to as many people as possible. But also do what you do, man. You're so good at, um, at just creating movement. So thank you, Eric, so much, bro. Thanks. Thanks for joining us on the Post-Christian Podcast. More resources available at ericbryant.org.